Hysteria is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She deserves the best. That's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And right now, you can get 25% off your entire Books purchase. Here's why everyone likes the Books company. Books is different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms, so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano, which I love. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Books is simple. Go online, pick the delivery date, and you are done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank your mom. Order your books now. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. Erin, I love my books. I love a flower that lasts forever, and my books arrangements really do last a full solid week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, I have some sitting on my kitchen table right now, mm-hmm. and they've been there for several days. And usually when I buy them at, like, the grocery store, they're sort of, like, starting to crap Fade. out pretty quickly. Yep. Not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever Absolutely, you Absolutely, because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S.com, promo code hysteria. Books, promo code hysteria. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, have you ever been around somebody that was like so famous or iconic that you kind of felt yourself blacking out a little bit? It's been known to happen. Who's made you like black out a little bit? So uh, the queen, queen of England, that was one. (laughs) Um, um, Hillary Clinton? Hillary Clinton, yeah. Hillary Clinton. Definitely Hillary Clinton. Um, We got Hillary Clinton this week on the show. There was a moment we were interviewing her, and she's super nice and warm and kind and funny. And I looked at her little box in, like, the Zoom thing, and I felt like I was going to blackout. I was like, (laughs) what? (laughs) What? Dude, it's like it was it was like one of those days to remember. And I mean, did she just bring it or what? She definitely brought it. I can't wait for everybody to listen. Let's get to the show. Okay. This week, Hillary Clinton, Shaniqua McClendon, and Kieran Deal joined to tackle the following questions. Why do our critics sometimes make our best teachers? What deranged new tactic are abortion opponents trying to use now? What does it mean when an adult man is described as exhibiting fratty behavior? And what did Alyssa think of Stabler's return on Law & Order SVU? All this and more right now. All right, before we get to this hyped Hillary Clinton interview, she's like one of our remaining, like, I don't want to say white whales, but sort of one of our white whales where we were just She was a North Star. She was, was, yeah. You and I have talked about this for a year. (laughs) Quite some time. More? We've been talking about yeah. this for quite some time. Like, I remember after the election, and it's like we had had uh, Stacey Abrams, we'd had Elizabeth Warren, we'd had Ayanna Presley. There were all these people. We'd had Ilhan Omar. There were all these people that we'd had, but Hillary was still elusive. It, but you know what, Aaron? That was one of the most artful, humble brags of all time. <laughs> 
Thank you. You're no, welcome. I don't feel I don't feel humble at all. I don't want <laughs> no. Don't 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 blunt my brag by calling it humble. There was no attempt at humility whatsoever. I'm proud of us and I'm proud of I'm proud of the show. Um, I've been inspired by the NCAA women's basketball tournament, and I'm just going to be unabashedly proud of myself for as a you second. should. Yes, more women should. Just be proud of yourself. You don't need to be humble. Okay. Um, Good. You're an inspiration. Um, So here's some news that is a little bit less fun. We've been meaning to talk about this, but other stuff keeps happening. But we, uh, you know, just because there are other things that are kind of stealing headlines doesn't mean this isn't still going on. And that is the fight to preserve abortion rights. Now, uh, when Amy Coney Barrett got confirmed to the Supreme Court, a lot of people were really scared, including me and probably including you. Yeah. Scary. Um, And uh, so now there's a 6-3 conservative majority on the court. And, you know, people have been really afraid that something is going to happen. And right now there is a case that uh, is kind of sitting there waiting for Supreme Court action called Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization um, that for some reason this week, the court still hasn't added to its list. So people are a little confused. Like the Supreme Court is all like, you know, poised. Conservatives have moved all their chess pieces into place and yet they're not making a move. Alyssa, what do you think is going on? What do I think is going on? I think couple things. One, bless his heart, Brett Kavanaugh really had to fucking walk the plank during his confirmation hearing and say that he was absolutely committed to established uh, precedent and settled law, number one. Pretty sure Amy Comey Barrett said something similar. I think that right now they're probably trying to preserve, you know, that the integrity of what they said, despite the lack of integrity they have in other areas. But also, I mean— like Aaron, you and I both know, this is this is the bomb. This is if the, when they take up a case like this, it is the all eyes will be on them, and uh, I'm just not sure they're ready for it. Yeah, you know, Stephen Breyer, the justice who should most retire, please, for the love of God, Stephen Breyer, please retire. Um, and I'm saying that because he's my favorite justice, and he's 83 years old, and we currently have a Democratic Senate and a Democratic president. Now is the time, please. Now is the time. Please, I love you dearly. You are you are my maybe my favorite justice alongside Sonia Sotomayor right now, but please do the right thing. So Stephen Breyer was saying something on Wednesday about being anti-court expansion because he was worried that it would erode people's trust in the Supreme Court. And I, I was just like, too late, dude. <laughs> it, it People's trust in the court has been eroded. And I think that the longer the court waits to take up any abortion case, the uh, more young people will have aged into voting or political awareness. And the window for the court to be able to overturn Roe v. Wade and not spark a full-on, like, not like a violent riot, but a full-on, like, ideological riot against the court and a complete lack of faith in the court— it, the window is closing. It, it may mm-hmm. already be closed. I think that overturning abortion rights or, or making it so that states can make abortion illegal um, is something that would be massively unpopular. It would undermine the court's credibility. And it would also point out how a conservative minority is trying to entrench control. I, I think it would like 
ultimately be sort of like conservatives shooting themselves in the dick. Or the foot, but the dick works too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just think dick is more colorful. It it's is. Like, it's, it's vivid. It's handgun tucked in sweatpants and a nightclub sort of imagery there. Um, one other tack that um, that conservatives are talking about using to outlaw abortion. Oh, this abortion. is crazy. I know this, where you're going. This is actually crazy. Is using this the, is four- crazy. the 14th Amendment um, and having uh, fetuses be characterized as persons um, under the law, which would mean uh, a lot of stuff. Um, so I'm just going to read 14th Amendment Section 1. Oh, that's good. I, I had it queued up too. Oh, that's amazing. Oh my gosh. We have, we are, we've grown the same brain, I think. We are nerds. Also, <laughs> also totally. look, also like sometimes notionally, and we hear this from our listeners also all the time, people know generally what things are, but sometimes it's good for us to drill down into the specifics. Yes, exactly. So I'm just going to read section one of the 14th amendment, which is a very good amendment. Um, that in the play, What the Constitution Means to Me, she talks a lot about the 14th Amendment. Um, <laughs> 14th Amendment, Section 1, all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. Okay, so the first thing I want to say about using the 14th Amendment to protect, protect, quote unquote, the unborn, is the word born is the third word in the 14th Amendment. Can I tell you who agrees with you? (laughs) Who? Antonin Scalia. (laughs) What? Antonin Scalia in 2008 rejected the idea that the 14th Amendment applies to fetuses, saying, quote, I think when the Constitution says that persons are entitled to equal protection of the laws, I think it clearly means walking around persons. (laughs) (laughs) Well, some babies can't walk. Another thing that that really, uh, like, is annoying about this, um, if if the 14th Amendment were used as a tack to try to outlaw abortion— um, it would interfere with IVF, big time. Yes. Um, big time. Even though lawmakers are kind of playing fast and loose with like pregnancy vocabulary here, like saying fetus when technically a pregnancy, the, the products of conception are not a fetus until I believe the 10th or 11th week of pregnancy. Right. So if you're protecting fetuses, you are, I guess, alluding to the fact that, you know, under medical definitions up until the 10th week, then they're not persons. But whatever. I don't think that's what they mean. I think they mean zygotes. You they know. mean zygotes. They mean they, do. they mean like free-floating zygotes before they've even attached to the uterus. Yes. Like they mean cells. Before it's even possible for your body to know. They mean that. That's what um, they're talking about. Very yeah. specifically and clearly. <laughs> yes. So this would endanger IVF. Um, a lot of people use in vitro fertilization for a variety of reasons. I think I read recently that 65,000 babies were born last year after uh, the assistance of IVF. It is a right. it is a super common procedure. It is a procedure that is um, only available to people who can afford it. Um, and so let's not leave that out of it. But, you know, for people who who are going to utilize it in forming their family and have the ability to to afford it. It's really important. 
Um, it's really important. And also, like at this point, are they going to start parsing what IVF counts and what doesn't? Like if you are a woman who has had to undergo or will have to undergo chemo and you want to harvest your eggs and therefore IVF will be your only option, is that going to be okay but other things not? Is it all not okay? I mean, they mm-hmm. are really – fucking on the luge. They're taking the luge to the handmaid's tale. Right. Like what if you're 25 years old and your parents gave you for a graduation present money to freeze your eggs and you're like, yes, I want to fuck around for 15 years. Going to try this. Like, is that not an okay thing? Because to me, that is is perfectly okay. It's Uh, whatever you want to do with your body, Erin, is perfectly okay. Well, that doesn't sound, that doesn't sound very American. It doesn't sound very originalist. (laughs) Doesn't sound very American or originalist at all. I can't believe Antonin Scalia is the guy that's like, hey, guys, from the grave. Let's pump the brakes. Yeah, from the grave. How about don't? (laughs) Um, Yeah. Not that this is funny. This isn't funny. I'm not laughing at the subject matter, just the lunacy of the subject matter. Yes, indeed. It's funny because it's ridiculous. Like, yeah. Things that are terrible can be ridiculous, and and I will laugh at things that are ridiculous, even though they are terrible. Um, there's a lot of statewide fuckery also going oh. on when it comes to abortion. Um, you know, good news from Ohio. A judge in Ohio recently blocked enforcement of a law that would require medical practitioners to ask um, people who have had abortions uh, whether or not they want the remains cremated or buried. Um, if you know what, I feel like a lot of these laws violate doctors' freedom of speech, right? Well, yes. I mean, in every way, shape, and form. It's like they're literally, these laws want to be sitting between you and your doctor. That's essentially what they do. Also, these, these people, it's like they sit around, and by these people, I mean the abortion opponents, and they're like, how can we make it all as traumatic as possible up until the time we can try and get it banned. Like some of this shit would never occur to me, even if I were like writing a script for a terrible movie, but they've mm-hmm. just got it all fucking front of mind. Yeah. God, what fucked up brains they must have. <laughs> like really fucked up brain. Do they sit around brainstorming ways to make women's lives worse? It is. You know, one thing I have to say, it because it was my immediate first thought. So, you know, that this week, one of the states with massive abortion fuckery is Arkansas. You know, Asa Hutchinson signed a bill into law banning nearly all abortions, and he said it was because of his overwhelming legislative support and sincere long-held pro-life convictions. Now, the one thing I hate is when abortion opponents are hypocrites. And while he is still kind of a hypocrite, I do appreciate that at least this week he did veto the anti-trans bill that was there saying that it was an overreach. And that, so in that way, I was like, oh, I guess he was kind of pro-life, like pro-life in that way. So Mm -hmm. I guess I felt like he was the, maybe not a super huge hypocrite, even if I really disagree with him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but he was operating in a state with a veto-proof majority. Yeah, that's so, true. It's so true. the legislature was able to just be like, all right, is, dude. Oh, yes, that is absolutely correct. Yeah, and well, we might as well transition to this other thing that we were going to talk about too, which we talked about on a, on a recent show, which is the anti-trans laws that are just popping up everywhere. Everywhere. Ev- everywhere. And uh, yeah, it just, they're, they're, they're very cruel. And they, it seems like the same kind of hive mind that sits around coming up with ways to make. I was going to say a lot of overlap in uh, geography looking at you, South Carolina. Yeah, it's weird. I thought you guys loved freedom, but I guess you don't like it when other people have freedom. It's freedom for guns, Aaron. Free- guns get freedom. People will get back to that. That's, uh, can I legally register myself as a gun? 
think of all you could do if you I did. I could do so much stuff. Nobody could make me wait for anything. It would just Ever. be. Yeah, it would be. It would be great. Um, Go anywhere. Yeah. So there was something that just came out on Wednesday uh, that's really upsetting from the state of North Carolina, which just introduced a bill that would ban medical treatment for trans people under age 21. So for the purposes of this law, people who are 20 would be considered minors, which is right. ridiculous. Like can drive, vote, die in a war. Correct. Like, and probably most of their friends could get them beer. Like if you're 20, you probably have 21 year old friends and it's not weird, you know? Right. Um, you know, it's, it, they also would force the government employees to let parents know in writing if their kids displayed quote, gender non-conforming behaviors or traits. Uh, what? What? <laughs> what? Like what? <laughs> Who you know? in the world has ever gone through life? Look, what is happening to trans kids? Trans kids will suffer the most harm from laws like this. Absolutely. And we shouldn't ignore that fact that, you know, people, people's lives are at stake here. You know, the, the thing that has a broader impact on a larger number of people is the second thing, which is the thing about gender nonconforming. Who has gone through their life conforming perfectly to their quote unquote assigned gender every step of the way? I, I mean, if that required wearing a skirt, it's something I haven't done for 35 of 45 years of my life. <laughs> I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And and like they expect government employees to report to parents in writing if somebody is somehow experimenting with the way they express themselves or if someone is transitioning to expressing themselves uh, with a different gender than they were assigned at birth. Like, Well, and the best part is the same people who are for these disgusting uh, new laws because it's like, you know, they're protecting, they're protecting. They're like, you know, this is what we're doing. We're protecting our society and freedom, freedom. But then they're like, you know what? Don't you dare make me carry a passport that shows that I've been vaccinated. I really don't know how those two are related, but it's the same group of people and neither one of those things makes sense. It's a complete hodgepodge of like nonsensical fear. It, and it doesn't, yeah, it's, it's, it's completely, it makes absolutely no sense. You know, it's weird though, like, I hear a lot of people who are in favor of these laws talking about like, oh, we don't want to give kids hormones. Hormones are bad for kids, blah, 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 blah. What the fuck are you talking about? Do you know how many teenage girls take birth control? What do you think is in birth control? It's Hor hormones. hormones. It's fucking hormones. Like we use hormones all the time for various reasons that are beneficial to people that have nothing to do. With, like it's, ugh, it's so dumb. It makes my brain hurt. Yeah. Yeah. It, all of it, it. It's, yeah. I mean, look, the thing is, we just have to soldier through the brain pain because these people um, still have, they're in charge of a lot. And they're relentless. They are, un, they, they are, you can't tire these people out. No. You know what? Have you ever worked in an office with somebody who is just the worst? Yeah. And like, <laughs> they end up always getting their way because they just never give up. And everyone eventually is just like, oh, fine. Fine. <laughs> fine. You exactly. even know the voice in which it is said. Fine. <laughs> exactly. Like the current GOP is an entire party 
of those people, of like Stephen Miller's slapping their hands down on a pizza and trying to run with the girls' track team to prove that men are faster and just being so fucking annoying that people just give up and stop paying attention. Yeah. And we just, I mean, I guess, I guess being a progressive in this day and age is a commitment to just being at a low level of annoyance every single day. It's a slow burn. It's a slow burn. Um, okay, let's move on to some toasts. I think we just have one toast this week. Just one toast. I would like you to lead this toast, Alyssa. Okay, so we've toasted her before because we just can't get enough. Uh, to our girl, a bitch who does know how to govern, Jacinda Ardern. Last week, New Zealand voted to raise its minimum wage to $20 an hour and increase the top tax rate for the country's highest earners to 39%. Before anyone reminds us that $20 an hour in New Zealand is not $20 an hour in America, it is about $14 an hour in America, which is still fucking good. Uh, In addition to this, there will be small increases to unemployment and sickness benefits. The government estimates that the minimum wage increase will affect up to 175,000 workers and increase wages across the economy by $216 million. Once again, proving New Zealand is a great place to live. New Zealand is a great place to live if you're lucky enough to be from there because New Zealand also has a law that unless you're a citizen, you can't buy property, which is smart, which is smart. It was to prevent speculation and you know, people outbidding citizens from being able to live. And, you know, as a person who lives in Los Angeles with million-dollar homes sitting vacant and just owned by shadowy foreign LLCs, I sort of think it might be a good idea for us to consider something similar. I think it is a good—I think it would not be a terrible idea either. Yes. Okay. Well, we can talk about real estate on a future show. (laughs) Um, But let's take a break. And when we come back, somebody you may or may not have heard of, Hillary Clinton. And welcome back. So there are some people who have been on our wish list of guests since the beginning of this show, almost three years ago, oh my gosh. And today we get to talk to one of those people, a woman who needs no introduction, but I've written one for her anyway. Hold on to your butts, folks. I'm holding on to mine. She's been a first lady, a senator, a secretary of state, and was the first woman to be nominated for president by a major political party and the first woman ever to win the popular vote, smasher of glass ceilings, and now a podcast host. Welcome, Hillary Clinton. Hi. Hello. How are you? Hi. I'm good. Hi. It's Hi. great to see you. Thank you so much, Erin and Alyssa. And it's a great treat to be with you on your podcast, which is just <laughs> a fabulous conversation. Oh, thanks so much. That means, thank you, Hillary Clinton, for complimenting my <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Alyssa, it's always good to see you. How are you doing? I'm good. It's been a long time, huh? I know. Love the color hair. Looks great. You know, we just, we went natural gray. Why not? I look like a witch. (laughs) I look like a witch by the time salons opened back up. So I just cut it down to the gray and here we are. It looks great. I mean, first of all, it looks like it's a really well done light blonde on screen. So, you know, you can't beat that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Erin, how are you? I'm doing great. Uh, yeah, You know what's funny? I'm, this is, you were my first ever like politician or political figure I ever met. I was in fourth grade. My parents took me to a Clinton rally at a, at a county fair in Iowa. And <laughs> Bill was going, this was like 92. And Bill was like shaking all the adults' hands and you were crouching down and just 
focused entirely on the kids. Oh. And, and you shook me and my cousin's hands. And it's like, my, it was a formative political memory for me. So thanks. Oh for- my gosh. Wow. That means a lot to me. You know, I, you know, in my, uh, my last ill-fated, terrible outcome campaign, um, I did a lot of events with kids, which of course I loved. They kind of re-energized me in the midst of all the craziness. Uh, and I started doing uh, Q&A with kids, and it was so much fun, and it was so touching. I mean, I remember I was in California, and I it was a fundraiser, you know, but it was really for kids. It was sort of a bring-your-kids fundraiser. So the adults were kind of surprised when I said, I only want questions from kids. I'm sorry, but this is the <laughs> kids' time. And the kids would raise their hands, and they'd say things like, my cat died. I say, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, what was your cat's name? I mean, it was so real and wonderful. So, um, yeah, it kept me sane through, you know, crazy times. For sure. And that stuff really matters. Those kids are going to remember forever mm. when you gave them advice about their dead cat. Because <laughs> I certainly remembered forever. Well, your podcast is going great. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. It's a I, lot of fun. This it is, is our fun, bi- isn't this it? Is, this is our biggest day. Oh, I this, don't know about that. It's You've our biggest day. Fabulous, fabulous <laughs> guests. Yeah. You know, I started mine in the pandemic uh, because people have been asking me to, and I was kind of like, oh, I don't know. And then uh, finally did it. It is so much fun. You're 100% right. I mean, getting to talk to people you want to talk to, uh, getting to, you know, cover subjects that you find interesting and hopefully your listeners do as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think it's, you know, really kind of the, it, it's odd to say this, but kind of like the best of old fashioned radio. Yeah, definitely. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, we call it podcasting and of course it is, and it comes, you know, over the internet and all of that. But I have such fond memories of listening to programs on the radio because my mother listened to it all day. And, you know, there were, there were uh, soap operas and mysteries and, interview shows and talent shows, and you could do other things. It was like, take a walk or you know, <laughs> hold the radio up to your ear while you're in the backyard. Oh, man. Yeah. Same same here. We were like a sports listening family. So uh-huh. we would listen to like twins games all the time. I remember mowing the lawn with my dad and listening to like old guys talking about the Minnesota twins. So yeah, it, you're you're absolutely right. I, you know what? I feel like we could sit around talking for like hours and hours. <laughs> that's what podcasting is, and that's why it rules so hard because you yeah. just get to talk. It's to like cool a great people. conversation that people want to listen in on. Oh, exactly. It's like sitting at a table full of people who are really interesting, but you're like too tired or hungover to participate, and you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so let's start big. Um, you've had a front row seat to history and you are a part of history. And as you reflect on the monumental events, both positive and negative, you've been a part of, or you've witnessed, which moment stands out the most? Well, in my personal experience, uh, 9-11, I had been a senator from New York for less than a year. Uh, I took office in January of 2001 I was literally just getting uh, my bearings in the Senate, trying to figure out where you go and what you do and how you spend your time. Uh, And uh, 9-11 happened. And it became, you know, the most uh, all-consuming, incredibly, uh, you know, overwhelming experience uh, that I'd ever had. And it took up much of the rest of my time in the Senate fighting to get people health care, fighting to get the 
victims' compensation fund in place, fighting to rebuild lower New York. And so it's, um, you know, really the most impactful uh, personal experience that I've ever had and one of the huge historic public uh, tragedies of our country. Mm -hmm. Well, as the Biden administration tackles this particular historically massive event, the challenge of the pandemic, Mm -hmm. do you ever find yourself wanting to be back in the thick of things helping out? Or are you glad you're not responsible for cleaning up this mess? No, I'm always uh, looking for ways that I can be helpful, obviously not in the in the official positions, but I've spent a lot of time talking with old friends uh, who are now in the Biden administration. And I really applaud the president for bringing in people who actually know what they're doing. Isn't that mm-hmm. a nice change after <laughs> the last four years? And have put in place uh, systems, uh, have totally gotten rid of the bluster and the blaming and the finger pointing to say, okay, here's what we're going to do and here's how we're going to do it. Uh, But we still have a long way to go, Uh, not only here at home and getting everybody vaccinated and then getting children vaccinated, starting with, you know, teenagers and going down. um, But we've got the whole world to worry about because this is a mutating virus and Mm -hmm. left unchecked in some faraway place, given you know, transportation, mobility, and uh, all the rest of what we live with in the modern world, you know, it will still be a threat uh, that might require, uh, you know, annual uh, booster shots or vaccines like we do with the flu. But I give the Biden-Harris folks really high marks for uh, not sugarcoating it, getting in there and dealing with, you know, both the scientific and, frankly, the political challenges it poses. Mm-hmm. Secretary, it's a fact to say that our kids are going to be learning about you in history class. What is the difference between Hillary Clinton, the symbol, and Hillary Clinton, the person? Oh, that's such a great question, because I feel like I've been the same person ever since, I guess, I became an adult, you know, pretty you know, pretty much who I am. But I've been interpreted through so many different uh, perspectives. And, you know, I've been, uh, you know, vilified and admired. I've been held up as a positive symbol and held up as a negative one. I've been really at the uh, center of a lot of the debates that we are still having over uh, women and our role in the world and our ambition, our willingness to assume great responsibility. Uh, so I, uh, I I think it'll be fascinating because it may well be through the eye of the beholder. Uh, people who understood what I was up against when I started trying to get universal health care for people and ended up being burned in effigy as the documentary about me on Hulu uh, Uh, reminded me um, to being the first woman nominated by one of our two major um, political uh, parties for president and then getting all of the disinformation and misinformation and double standard misogyny and all the rest of it. So it's going to be fascinating. I'm, I hope I'm around for some of it. (laughs) (laughs) Start now, people, if you're listening. (laughs) So also as someone who's you know, during her entire life has been going at a hundred miles per hour. Like all of us, you have spent a lot of time with yourself over the past year. Did you learn anything about yourself that you didn't know or realize before? I, for example, have learned I can fix just about anything with a YouTube video. Oh, good for <laughs> you. Um, you know, I, that's a great question. I hope everybody 
you know, asks themselves that question. Um, I learned that I didn't have to be going 100 miles an hour. Um, I learned that I could really take a deep breath and enjoy being at home. I mean, occasionally I was stir crazy and a little bit, uh, you know, anxious to start the engines going again. But I have been out of my house only for uh, funerals, uh, to cast my vote in the Electoral College, which was, you know, somewhat of a vindication, and uh, to attend the inauguration. Otherwise, I've been here. We haven't gone on a vacation. You know, we haven't eaten inside a restaurant. I mean, we we have been incredibly uh, focused on trying to get through this with our family and be healthy and all the rest of it. Um, I haven't, you know, but now you've inspired me. I, 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 I'm going to turn on YouTube and find out how to fix some of the things that I have been ignoring. Like I have a knob on one of my dresser drawers. It pulls off all the time and I just get frustrated <laughs> and I jam it back on. And then I use the other knob because I don't want to pull it off again. So I, I'm going to look to see how you fix knobs that fall off at the gorilla slightest glue. touch. Yeah, gorilla glue. <laughs> it may be the answer. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Alyssa, I'm so jealous of how handy you've become. I have just figured out new ways to be sad. Um, okay. <laughs> um, Secretary, when it comes to social progress, you mentioned like misogyny in the media that you faced. Um, do you think there are areas that we've made a surprising amount of advancement on in our lifetime? And where has progress been too slow or even backward? You know, that's a, a, an important historic uh, view, Aaron, because in my lifetime, we have made tremendous progress. I mean, when I look at the civil rights movement, the women's movement, the gay rights movement. I mean, compared to where we were when I was a teenager and a young uh, adult to where we are today is just literally breathtaking. We knocked down so many of the laws and the regulations that stood in the way. I, there were colleges I couldn't attend, scholarships I wasn't eligible for, jobs that you know were not available to me, like famously when I was 13 and thought I wanted to be an astronaut and wrote a letter to NASA and they said, Sorry, we're not taking women. I mean, we have changed so much, but, and I hasten to add, there are still so many uh, implicit biases and almost unconscious stereotypes that people are still uh, not only living with, but acting on. So, for example, we just went through, you know, what's called March Madness, the NCAA tournament. I mean, just think, I mean, the men's teams, the women's teams, best in the country playing basketball. The women get to their uh, site in San Antonio. They have one little rack of free weights. And somebody smartly, thanks to our ubiquitous phones, takes a picture, compares it to the full-blown gym available for the men's teams. And all of a sudden, you know, the NCAA is saying, oh, my goodness. Oh, how did that <laughs> happen? Well, it happened because you weren't thinking. It happened because somebody said they don't need it. It happened because you still live with a double standard about mm -hmm. how women are to be treated compared to men. And, you know, when we think about the pushback we're getting now on voting rights, because we had a free, fair, credible election that happened to elect uh, a Democratic president and vice president, we know that the forces that have always stood against human progress, haven't gone anywhere. You know, they may have gone underground for a little bit. They may have, you know, held their, 
you know, they're at peace. They're not, you know, racist, sexist, uh, homophobic, uh, you know, comments um, for a period of time. And then Trump kind of unleashed it all again. And those who are discomforted by the progress of others, who see the world uh, in a, you know, zero some way, that if somebody advances, that hurts me, as opposed to let's all advance together, make the pie bigger, create more opportunity for everybody. People who live with that anger, fear, insecurity, outrage, uh, were given permission. Uh, and we have seen uh, the results of that now. So yes, we've made tremendous progress, but the lesson really is in this great human uh, experiment that we all take part in, uh, we can't ever rest because the deep, dark, negative tribalism that exists within all of us to a greater or lesser degree can always be brought out. I mean, these attacks on Asian Americans, I mean, wow, it's just stunning. You know, women walking their dogs, you know, men going to the store, I mean, out of nowhere being pummeled and assaulted, insulted. And I don't think it's an accident that, you know, part of what Trump tried to do was to, you know, make this a China problem instead of, yeah, it is a China problem. We still don't know exactly everything we need to know, but that has nothing to do <laughs> with the Chinese people or Chinese American or Asian American people. So yeah, we have a lot of work still ahead of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just really quick, I want to go back to something you mentioned, NCAA women's tournament. How exciting was it? Did you? It was fabulous. It was fabulous. so, okay. <laughs> I was, I am full on Ari McDonald Stan now she's, watching. She's, she's amazing. So she's amazing. And, oh my gosh. And Adia Barnes, the coach of Arizona's, oh. I'm well, so see, glad I have, you're a, a fan. I have a Stanford graduate daughter and son-in-law. So we watched it cheering for Stanford, I have to admit, even <laughs> though we were thrilled by uh, Arizona. And I, I also loved the confidence and the energy uh, of these uh, young women. And both coaches uh, mm -hmm. were just so in there and saying, yeah, we're going to do this and come on, you can make it. And it goes down to the buzzer shot. And I thought it was a great game. Yeah. I played great. half court basketball. That's another thing that's changed. <laughs> I have to quickly add here, half court basketball, you could not pass the center line, the half court oh. line. <laughs> you had three people on each side of the line. You had either defenders or scorers, and you could not cross the line, and you could only dribble three times. And we were told it was because women's hearts couldn't take it. I mean, <laughs> you can't make this stuff up, my friends. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, that is progress for sure. <laughs> Secretary Clinton, we know that you have made getting more women to run for office a priority your entire life. Um, we also know one big deterrent to women running for office is seeing how ruthless the media can be specifically to women. Your dear friend Geraldine Ferraro really was a pioneer here. What would you tell a young woman who is thinking about running for office but worried about the press brutality? Oh, Alyssa, I have this conversation so many times. And I, I started an organization after the 2016 election called Onward Together mm -hmm. to do just what you're saying, to um, support 
organizations uh, that are recruiting and training uh, candidates, particularly women and people of color, uh, to run for office up and down the ballot, not just, you know, Congress, but state legislatures, city councils, the whole uh, group of uh, elected officials in our country, which numbers many thousands. And I'm often asked, well, how, how do I get into it? How do I do it? What what do I have to be prepared for? And number one, you have to be prepared. You have to know what you're doing. You have to understand the stakes of getting into the political arena right now. Uh, and you have to learn how to defend yourself, but also to take criticism seriously, but not personally. And by that, I mean, look, you know, I was legitimately criticized every time I ran for office about things, you know, a position I took or didn't take or something I said or didn't say. That's all that's all fair. You know, that's the kind of thing. Well, OK, maybe I can learn something. And oftentimes your critics are better teachers than your friends because they can shine a brighter light in a way that you can actually uh, see what you uh, maybe were lacking in. But so much of the criticism that I or anybody, but particularly women in the public arena face is is just determined to bring you down. I mean, it it wants to destroy you, wants to bring you to your knees, wants you to, you know, give up. Um, and I think that you have to be prepared for it, but I have to quickly add, uh, there's no preparation for the first time somebody says something about you that is totally a lie totally made up and that like real people are believing and telling other people uh, this lie and it's being passed around and you just go, wait a minute, wait a minute. I mean, that's not true. And and then you realize that there's something psychological about uh, accusing women of all kinds of things because there's a built-in uh, either anxiety or skepticism about women running for office still today. So oftentimes these accusations fall, unfortunately, on fertile ground. The other thing you have to be prepared for is it does not matter what you wear, what you look like, what your hair uh, style is, or any of that, you're gonna be criticized. You know, when I was the only woman on the stage, I mean, you know, people said all kinds of, you know, weird things. And then we had more women, uh, thankfully, running this last time in the Democratic primary. And again, it didn't matter. You could be tall or, or short or, you know, wear pants or wear skirts. It was all fair game for the fashion police and the finger pointers. So you just have to take a deep breath and say, you know what? I'm doing this for the right reason. I want to serve. I have issues I deeply care about. I want to make a difference. I want to help people. And just power through it and don't get knocked over. Mm -hmm. Secretary, uh, we like to close on a, on a light note here. From one podcast host to another, <laughs> um, what drew you to podcasting? Who would be your dream guest? And what is something you would want to ask them? You know, I got drawn to podcasting because I love podcasts and I had been listening to them and uh, thought after people said, oh, you should do this. Well, maybe I'll give it a try. Uh, and I've got this podcast, You and Me Both, and it really is a kind of an expression that I took to using because people would say to me, I can't believe this, and I'd say, you and me both. I mean, <laughs> you know, during the last four years, we were doing a lot of you and me bothing. Um, 
And, you know, there are so many people I'd like to talk to. I, I'll tell you some people I'd like to talk to. Um, I'd like to talk to Chancellor Angela Merkel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I admire and like her very much. I've known her oh, since 1993, and she's about to retire. I'd love to get her in a, uh, a conversation where she didn't have to be the official chancellor, but she could reflect on what it was like being the longest serving uh, leader in Europe. I would love to talk to the Dalai Lama. <laughs> I, I find him one of the most delightful people. I've been around him uh, a number of times. He is remarkably of good cheer. In fact, I'd like to have him and Desmond Tutu, the you know former Archbishop of uh, South Africa who wrote a book together about hope, which we all need more of, uh, to just I could just sit there and listen to them kind of go back and forth. I wouldn't even have to ask many questions. I, I'm just interested in people who, as we were just saying, keep going under difficult circumstances. You know, on my podcast, I've interviewed, you know, famous people like Audra McDonald, who talked very openly about her suicide attempt and how she came back from that. And my podcast, Dropping Today, uh, I talked with uh, Mike Berbiglia, who wrote a really honest a book about how he didn't want to be a father, and all of a sudden, you know, he's about to become one. I, I love having people, you know, not only uh, relate their own experiences, but in a way that so many others can connect with and feel comfortable with. I had a great conversation with Kamala Harris before she actually assumed the vice presidency. I've known her a long time. Her sister uh, was a senior advisor in my campaign. And and just to you know talk about what it's like. I mean, what I mean, I think we've we're almost like shelving it, taking it for granted. Oh yeah, we have our first woman vice president. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, she's you know black and Indian immigrant daughter. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> no, this is so huge. It's so amazing. And so I um, I want to keep talking with people who are doing uh, fascinating, interesting work. Some are well known, but another person on my podcast this week is a sixth grade special education teacher from the South Bronx uh, named Jamel Holmes, who has been on Zoom with his kids who need a lot more than Zoom can give them. And he's been providing care baskets for them, you know, with everything from, you know, socks to snacks. And he's an unsung hero uh, doing the work that keeps this country going. And that's the final thing I would say is, I hope one lesson we've all learned from the last year uh, is how important so-called essential workers are, people who uh, actually keep the wheels turning, whether it's public transportation, our hospitals, uh, our grocery stores, our schools, and people who very often are you know, not given the respect uh, that uh, they have more than earned. Uh, so I've loved doing my podcast, and I know you guys love doing yours. And <laughs> it's been a way to connect. And, and I guess final, final thing I would say is, you know, I, I interviewed uh, Masha Gessen, um, mm-hmm. who uh, some listeners may know uh, is a Russian uh, immigrate to the United States, uh, now a Russian citizen who's written about Putin, written about the uh, the authoritarian takeover of Russia after big hope for democracy. And in my conversation with her, she made a really interesting point. She said, America needs a new narrative. You know, we need to be telling ourselves a different story. The stories are too narrow. They're, they're too divisive. We need to be 
throwing it into the future, the kind of America that, you know, we want to see for ourselves, our children, our grandchildren. And she was talking to me about uh, uh, Alexei Navalny, who, you know, Putin has tried to kill. And then he went back to Russia, which was, you know, more than I could have ever imagined doing. And now he's back in prison. And most of us are fearful that he will, quote, die in prison. And she she told me about how what he's tried to do is to talk about a Russia of the future. Well, they really need it. I mean, look at where they are, this highly intelligent, educated society, you know, basically making no progress. But look at where we are, you know, divided, unable to come to agreement about letting everybody vote. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, you got to stop and just kind of crook your head and think, what is going on, my friends? So yeah, we need to tell ourselves a different story and we need to try to figure out how to do it uh, in a way that brings uh, more people together. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe all this time we got to spend by ourselves gave us maybe more capacity to grasp complexity and <laughs> and multi I'm this this is me being very hopeful we're talking about Good. hope this is me being hopeful Good. secretary hillary clinton thank you so much for joining us um our listeners can find your podcast pretty much wherever they find any podcast right like <laughs> apple stitcher yeah, spotify <laughs> so that was that was hillary clinton i cannot believe that i'm talking to you you've been somebody i've looked up to for a really long time so thank you so much for joining us thank you thank you both This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe Mushroom Coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I, I just like, I, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast, no dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito, (laughs) not, not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. 
And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount. Text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. And welcome back. We are minus one Hillary Clinton and plus two other wonderful women. I'm going to bring them on right away because today's topic is, it's a gross one, but it's one of those topics that's really kind of, it feels cathartic to commiserate with women about this, if if I can put it that way. So uh, first up, she is a writer, a director, a comedian, and a delight. It's Kieran Deal. Hi. Hi. So great to be here. Uh, How are you doing? I'm okay. I can't. I mean, I can't, I can't complain. I, that's what I'm, that's my new thing I'm saying now. Can't you can complain? complain? I say, I'm saying can't complain. Cause it's like, I feel like everyone can complain, but we're choosing not to, we're choosing not to light and tunnel all the things. Do you feel though, like your entire livelihood depends on your ability to complain in an articulate and funny manner? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. That might've been If you can't complain, that's a problem. You're like, that's that's kind of the thing, right? It's like, right? It doesn't come from total joy and bliss <laughs> and satisfaction that you get material. What Look, are you doing? There's only one Josh Gondelman. There's only one joyful comedian. <laughs> right, right. There, you're, there's only one guy who's allowed to be the wonder. There's a couple of people who come at it from like wonder and curiosity. It's Josh and Ron. That's <laughs> Well, so I'm I'm glad that you can complain, and that was just an expression to move the conversation along. <laughs> um, up next, special guest, but you guys know her and love her. She is the political director for Crooked Media. It is Shaniqua McClendon. Hi, thank you for having me. And that's so nice that you know they love me already. They, that. Oh, we get emails about you. People that is love so nice. you. I'll forward them to you. Next time we get one about you, I will forward it to you. I like to forward nice letters that we get to the people to whom they're directed. Oh, that's nice yeah. because people say mean things on Twitter. Shaniqua, oh. don't be shy. I always want the emails that are nice about me. <laughs> <laughs> people say mean things on Twitter because it's a place where you can like, I say mean things on Twitter and here's the reason why I do it. Because it's a thing to do. Fair enough. <laughs> We're, we've all been stuck inside for like a year That's so, true. you know, people get bored and they're like, I guess I'll just be mean for a while. I don't know. I think I'm just saying like, if you see me on Twitter, say nice things to me. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the next person I see saying something mean to Shaniqua, I will quote tweet with something <laughs> yes. very mean. Oh, that's perfect. That's kind of the same thing. So. <laughs> I'll I'll snitch tweet you if you. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's get into this week's topic. Uh, we've mentioned this person on the show before, but ugh. okay. So let's talk about the latest on Representative Matt Gates's ever oozing trail of slime. It seems like his whole career has been a slime trail. Uh, the New York Times reported on Tuesday that the congressman that John Lovett once referred to as a human frat paddle asked Donald Trump for a blanket pardon for himself and a whole group of legislators shortly before Trump left office. Uh, Trump didn't grant it, which is actually kind of pre- like pleasantly surprising to me. <laughs> I, like that Trump wouldn't be like just 
forever pardon for everyone I've ever liked. It's like, wow, good. That's some restraint, I guess. The bar is low. Uh, now Matt Gates is being investigated for his involvement in a sex trafficking case involving an underage girl and also for payments made to other sex workers that he met online. But that isn't all. Reports have circulated that Gates invented a game when he was a Florida state legislator that awarded points for sleeping with lobbyists, staffers, interns, and married female coworkers. Which, by the way, he didn't invent that game. Let's not give Matt Gates <laughs> credit. I've seen Lifetime movies about this game before. Other people invented the game. He copied the game. Uh, in addition, one disturbing allegation stated that Gates had been showing nude photos of the women that he was allegedly romantically involved with to congressional colleagues on the House floor. Uh, Republicans, uh, as one could expect, have been absolute profiles in courage. Uh, nobody has really said anything to condemn Gates, uh, including some Republican women who ran on a platform that included one opposing predatory men. Like Ashley Hinson of Iowa, for example, ran an ad during the 2020 campaign talking about how she would go after predators. She hasn't said a thing about Matt Gates. Uh, Michelle Fishbach of Minnesota co-sponsored legislation that was anti-child trafficking when she was a Minnesota legislator. Hasn't said a thing, but I digress. There will be more on this as this very gross story develops. Shaniqua, I want to start with you. What do you make of this Matt Gates story? Yeah, so I don't pay a ton attention of attention to him typically. Um, you know, I've seen the photo with him and the staffer, I think, or reporter, and him with the gas mask on. But when I heard about this, the first I heard about it, I thought, okay, I, I don't understand this story. And so then I went and watched the Fox News interview because I thought, of course, if it's his issue going on, he should be able to explain this pretty clearly. I watched the interview. I still was very confused as to what was going on. So I finally, I was being lazy, but I finally just went and read the New York Times article and I was just even more confused because it went from someone's trying to extort my family uh, from this lie to, no, he's actually being investigated by the Department of Justice um, for possibly sex trafficking um, young women. And so, yeah, I, I was confused. I'm still very confused because I feel like he's, you know, obviously the government's not telling us too much about what's going on. Um, and he's just kind of inserting a lot of craziness. Um, I read a little bit more yesterday and saw that uh, it wasn't actually, well, this is all a, a lot of shady people saying stuff. So I don't know what's actually true, but uh, that the people that he said was extorting him were actually trying to get help um, to, to get some people that were being held captive in another country. So there's just like a lot of moving pieces, but when you boil it all down, it feels very on brand for who Matt Gates is and like who he's tried to be. And I don't know, Republicans are still doing the same things they always do. I mean, if you don't hold the president responsible for trying to, to kill you, then I don't think you're going to do anything uh, when one of your colleagues is, is sleeping with underage uh, young women. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, you put it that way, it's kind of, of course, they're not, of course, they're not going to say anything. They never say anything about anything. Um, yeah. So, Kieran, in like every single media report that's allowed opinionating on this, I've seen his behavior described as frat boy. Like back when he was a Florida legislator representing your great state, uh, he's, he was described as having a fratty behavior. Um, what do you think? Uh, it means when someone is described as like fratty. What is frat boy behavior? I mean, that's that's a great question. It's uh, never great 
uh, is going to be my my take. But it's never like, oh, someone who's brotherly and helps the community and recycles and picks up the trash off the sidewalk. That's normally not what they're going. It's not the community service <laughs> aspect that I think they're going for when they talk about a frat boy. I always, I always have that image of like, a man like taking a beer can and like crushing it into their <laughs> skull. Yes. Do you know what I mean? And then being like, yeah, but like normally after you poke the hole in the side and then you shotgun it and then you crush it on your skull and then maybe a yell. <laughs> but I don't know if I'm just getting that from my own imagination or from movies, you know? <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to go with I'm going to go with not positive. I'm going to go with a it's it's a not, it's an, it's a net negative if the vibe you're giving off is quote unquote frat boy. It's also great to have a dad who's super wealthy, whose shadow mm-hmm. you're in, which is part of the reason why you parallel the president, former mm-hmm. president. Um, I don't want to really say his name because I feel like it's 2021 and he's no longer in office. So it doesn't have to be in my mouth anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he has seemed a little bit, like Gates has seemed like he's kind of on a daddy quest um, for much of his political career, which is really transparent. And it would be sad if he weren't so contemptible and overtly harmful to the people that he's working with. Um, Alyssa, I wonder if during your time working in media, working in government, you know, throughout your career, have you ever worked with somebody who you would describe as fratty? And what was that like? Fratty. I have. I have. I mean, most the thing about the thing about the frat boys, they're literally the least funny people on the planet. Like, I only like to be around funny people for the most part. It's like not funny. People who have a sense of humor, right? They are humorless, humorless, uh, like humorless. And they don't but they normally think have, they're funny. But they think they, they oh do. my God, they think they're <laughs> so funny. They lack basic curiosity about others in life. Um and the guy who comes to mind, he uh, he always wore a bow tie. Like, that made him not a perp. I don't know. It was like a <laughs> he wore that bow tie like it was his shield against being a, criticized of anything terrible. But he, uh, when he told me he was in a fraternity, I was just like, I literally slow walked backwards. And <laughs> I mean, I may have been an intern for Bernie Sanders at the time, so it was repellent in many different ways. But it reminded me of when I I was in college, you guys, and whenever anyone calls Matt Gates a frat boy or anyone a frat boy, it takes me back to the darkest place. When I was at a party, it was like my first frat party, and I was told I wasn't cute enough to get in. So in a nutshell, that is frat behavior. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. and I was cute enough to get in. You're currently cute enough to get in. If I, I think were a so, frat too. Boy, I would let you in my party. Um, no, but they are. They are the people who over-talk in meetings, steal your ideas, um, you know, try to command. They always want to fucking hold court, you know? And, like, the thing is their shit's not funny or interesting, so people do it because they're mostly scared of being bullied. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like a venue for people who are aggressively ordinary to feel special. Um, aggressively ordinary, but like exceptionally cruel to feel like special in, in other ways. I think we've talked about some of like the soft ways that like we, we, soft fraternity behaviors, like, you know, interrupting, I guess, uh, acting kind of like a a pig at the office, like never cleaning up after yourself, like that sort of a thing. Um, but there's something like more insidious about it, I think, And that made me think as, you know, people were talking about Matt Gates being fratty, where I was like, 
do we need to have frats? Should men of that age be living only around other men exactly like them and reinforcing all of their negative qualities? Um, because on the on the light end of outcomes of that, it seems like we get men that only want to hang around men that are just like them. You know, so they only want to hire men that are just like them. They only want to vote for men who are just like them. Uh, they they only want to socialize with other men that are just like them. They only want to work, you know, that sort of thing. But on the 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 really like gross end, we have Matt Gates showing photos of nude women uh, on the floor of the House of Representatives. Just a total dehumanization of everybody who isn't a frat member. Like um, I was looking up stats on this because. I tweeted something to this effect last week and people were like, actually, frats are not, it's the same. You know, if you shut down frats, bad stuff would still happen. No. Erin is I, waggling her finger I'm, in the air. It's an actually she, finger. As she does that while I contemplate that a bow tie is a personality. <laughs> um, well, I was looking up stats on this because some people were saying that like the like boorishness occurs at the same uh, same consistency across different facets of campus life. But actually, no, uh, fraternity members are three times more likely to be involved in a sexual assault than non-fraternity members. Like They literally have houses that they all live in together where they do God knows what without any oversight. Did you go to a school that had fraternities, Janiqua? Oh, we had frat court. Um, it Whoa. was, <laughs> yes, at UNC Chapel Hill, there's literally, literally a courtyard that has majority of the fraternity houses. And like the first weekend of school, you're supposed to go to frat court to go to the parties. And my freshman year I went, and that was like the last time I went to frat court. It, it just had this like really, I felt very out of place being black. First of all, there were very few black people there, but, um, it just, I mean, and no one was like, you need to get out of here. People were nice and talking to me, but it just felt very like weird and icky, you know, pushing a ton of alcohol on the freshman girls. Like, can't go in that room because the door is closed. And it just, it's not a good feeling. And I mean, they just got away with so much stuff in those houses. And the girls, the sororities actually, theirs, their homes were not in that area. And they had like House mothers, they couldn't get into all of the stuff that the fraternities could because they had strict rules that they had to follow. Mm-hmm. Karen, did you ever interact with fraternity members at school? They they had um, final clubs. Um, okay. Oh, right. Yeah. You do that that weird Harvard yeah. thing. Yeah, they do that weird Harvard thing. Learned about but that it, in the social network. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, the 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 seminal factual uh, Aaron Sorkin piece. A, uh, Gosh, that is such a good lesson in why you shouldn't make a movie about something while the story is ongoing. Because uh, the end of the <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, um, other stuff happened. I know, yeah, it's yeah. TBD should have been just the end of that movie. It's just like TBD, <laughs> that, that, that. and that you was know? the worst thing Mark Zuckerberg ever did. <laughs> The yeah, yeah. End. The end. We really, <laughs> we really nailed him on the most important, you know, interpersonal relationship in his life. Um, those, those are really like, you know, deep institutions because, like, they've just been around for a really long time. I think, you know, they're, um, they were the equivalent of fraternities. Mm-hmm. You know, um, do they encourage bad behavior? Do you think? I, I didn't. I honestly didn't go to them that often, but there was definitely. I don't, I don't inherently have an issue with like 
you know, a same sex or a same gender group and like what the community of that can mean. Like, you know, the question here to me is like one about masculinity. Do you know what I mean? Then like, what do we think of as valuable? And I don't think that masculinity is inherently bad by any stretch of the imagination. That can mean honor. It can mean valor. There can be, there can be, you know, so many positive qualities associated and it's, it's kind of a bummer that, you know, there's four of us and, and obviously maybe there's like a little, you know, bit of our own personal biases coming in. I'm sure everyone, yeah, we all have a lens on it, but it's like, it's, it's, it sucks that, that the lens into what that, you know, masculine organization is, everyone has that, like, there's a shared image, a shared collective image of like that dark room, that sticky floor, the solo cup, Mm -hmm. you know, the kind of like, cackle laugh, just like that, that for lack of a better term, that bro-y behavior, you know, that mm-hmm. you're talking about that is um, a little bit more of like that kind of bullying vibe, mm-hmm. you know, that feels that collective sense of, of groupthink as opposed to like, as opposed to every like rising tides, mm-hmm, you know, yeah. and everybody making each other better, which can also be true you know, in a group of anyone, right? Like a, yeah, right. But even a same sex group. And I, that that bums me out still. It seems like to to go along with what you're saying, like for our vision, our like stereotypical vision of fraternity and not just ours, like the general cultural view of frat, you know, like the shorthand way that people use fratty mm-hmm. to describe an adult describes like a version of masculinity that um, enforces brutality on itself and every member. Mm-hmm. Like part of being a man is like being hazed hazing and being hazed. Part of being a man is like getting a freshman girl drunk. Part of being a man is like, you know, humiliating each other, humiliating women, uh, but then like emerging on the other side, having been humiliated. And it feels like to me, that model of, I'm going to sound like a college textbook here, but like to me, that model of like homosocial behavior Mm -hmm. is really like broken and bad. Because like you were saying, Kieran, I don't think that boys and young men should be deprived of a space where they can interact with each other in a way that's like community building and healthy. You know, men are fucking lonely, <laughs> you know? It's, <laughs> like, yeah. it's like really, it seems really hard to be a man in specific ways. And um, I don't think that that it's good to be like, no men should hang out with other men ever. But it just seems like this brutal version of masculinity mm-hmm. is what's so harmful. Like... Alyssa, have you ever, um, <laughs> you talk about your frat party. Was that the University of Wisconsin that you were at the frat? Thing? It was actually at the University of Vermont. But in Wisconsin, to Shanique's point, uh, I when I transferred there, I lived on Langdon Street, which I did not know at the time was frat row. And so oh. when I got there, I was like, Jesus, take the wheel. I am <laughs> never going into any of these houses. Like, you know, it was crazy. Do you think age has something to do with it? I mean, I definitely think men should be able to come together and bond over their common experiences. But it seems that when you get to college, you're at this age where you're definitely still trying to figure out who you are. And having the 22-year-olds show the 18-year-olds how to be men just seems like that at that point in all of their lives is not a good time to be understanding from someone who at that point has not, normally someone that age, especially men, has not gone through enough life to understand, you know, the vastness that can be masculinity. And so it's this really narrow version. And then they impart that 
on this next generation of men. And then, in my opinion, as they go through these fraternities, there's usually no consequences or accountability for their behavior. So it really solidifies their belief in how life works. And then they go into the world and that's how they believe everything continues to work from there on. Shanique, mm-hmm. you literally described the origin story of like 15 episodes of Law & Order SVU. <laughs> <laughs> but there's you a know. reason so many of those started fraternities. Like, it is. Or- it is. It's, and it starts with a weird group think, right? And there's usually one guy who knows better <laughs> who's like, this shit's bad. He doesn't participate, but he's a bystander. And doesn't mm-hmm. do anything. And, you know, they try to get him to flip on the others. It's a it's an age-old story. <laughs> <laughs> Alyssa, do you think that fraternity-type behavior is uh, especially prevalent in, like, government? You know, like, the fact that Gates was allegedly doing this g- dumb game thing in the Florida House of Representatives, and now he's in Congress, and it doesn't seem like anyone's making a big deal out of it. I mean, I got to be honest. I never saw a lot of, like, this kind of stuff when I worked in government. You know, I think that there is a certain way that our president, I'm not saying it never happened. I'm not saying people were not misogynist before Donald Trump, but I think there's a certain permission structure when you have a president who tweets, you know, she was bleeding from her eyes, all fucking weird shit about women, that this is somehow not just acceptable, but encouraged, you know? And so I think that, look, were there probably guys like Matt Gates? who were at dinner, you know, at the fucking Capitol Grill, who showed each other terrible pictures? Probably. I think Donald Trump was the one who's like, bring that shit to the House floor. Who cares? Mm -hmm. You know, and made him feel that it was, uh, like, there is definitely, I, I think that, you know, again, I always kind of revert to the fact that I was lucky because I worked for Barack Obama and he didn't really tolerate that kind of stuff. Like, unless talking sports is frat behavior, which I don't think qualifies, he really mm-hmm. uh, would not have abided any such talk in his presence. Nor did he hire people who ever talked that way uh, in my presence or otherwise. So I was I was lucky. But, uh, you know, I think the the thing about it is, is that, like we were saying earlier, I don't think that fraternities unto themselves are are bad, but it's like, what's the through line to the fraternity? Is it really service? Is it curiosity? Is it like, is it opening minds to things? Or is it like, we're rich, we can get away with whatever we want. College is about binge drinking and then going to Harvard Law or wherever. Sorry to attack Harvard again, Kieran. Um, but <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Harvard like, too. I, as I know, someone articulate my institution, my your, your alma mater. Um, I just, I mean, look, I'm the one. I mean, I went to, I mean, Shaniqua and I and Aaron. I mean, we went to some of the biggest, probably frat-ish schools. schools. There are no frats at Notre Dame. No, oh, no, wow. they're not allowed. Yeah, they're not allowed. They're uh, all single-sex dorms, though, that each have their own colors, mascots, cheers, and hazing rituals. So. Oh, okay. So not a fraternity, (laughs) but weird. Yes. (laughs) Deeply weird, not a fraternity and all like single sex. When I was there, there were guards to make sure that people were not violating visiting hours in girls girls dorms only, but not boys (gasps) dorms. Of course. That's something. Yeah. We called them virgin vaults, the girls dorms. Uh, Yeah. So no, no frat. But I did spend most of my 20s dating frat guys. So not, I mean, not current frat guys, age-appropriate people who had been members <laughs> of fraternities. Um, yeah, so that's, we all have our own experience. Shaniqua, what do you think would happen if 
all of a sudden tomorrow, every college and university was like, we're not having frats anymore. Like what would happen immediately? What would happen in 10 years? I think you would see like an outcry from a lot of the parents of the students who would have been going through these fraternities. Um, just because they do add something to these kids' lives. And I can't say it's fair or good, all of the things, but I think back to UNC. uh, So I was a business major. You have to apply to the business school to get into it. I did not get in the first time. Uh, I ended up getting in the second time, but, you know, I was talking to a friend and I was like, all these like fraternity people, like they just get in, like I see them, they are not studying as hard as me. Like, what is the deal? And she said, oh, you know, they like the fraternity, the, the people who graduate, the alumni, they like leave all the old tests, all the old work, and they're just like in their libraries and they can just study the old tests and like they have everything that they need to just get the grades necessary to get into the business school. So like, that's how they do it. And, you know, I think that like a lot of the parents of these students know what their kids are getting into and what they get out of the experience. So I think we would hear a lot of backlash and outcry Um, from a lot of people. But if we did not have them, um, you know, getting rid of fraternities isn't going to eliminate all the inequity that exists in our country and world. But I do think you would start to see at least, you know, us notching a little bit off because these institutions, they do protect um, men, young men from accountability, um, from having to work as hard as they need to, to get the same things that other people get. Uh, But I think it protects them if they're not already, you know, kind of protected enough from real life, from real life, you know, college was very different for me than a lot of the students who went through those fraternities. And in in a perfect world, they would get out of these institutions and realize, oh, this is the real world. I have to behave in a certain way, but they don't. And they continue to behave the way that they were taught and taught was okay with no consequence to behaving in college. So I think hopefully we might see things change, but this is still like a a male-centered society we live in. So I'm not entirely sure. Hmm. The fraternity is also so, um, it's such a, this, the whole system, the whole, the whole Greek system is such a uniquely American thing. That is the other part of it. That's so wild. Like that just doesn't exist in other countries in the same way, but that, but a lot of these other behaviors, mm-hmm. the ones surrounding sexual assault, the ones surrounding like young men, like those do exist. Yeah. So how protective is the institution? Cause it's like, it is a uniquely American system, mm-hmm. but the, but the problems that, that I think we're flagging or describing are not uniquely American. Mm-hmm. And Kieran's like, in conclusion, everything, <laughs> everything's a shit story. International <laughs> correspondent, Kieran Deal. You're um, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Alyssa, what do you say to people who say like, well, a lot of bad shit happens in sororities too? Like if you had to compare the two, uh, are fraternities worse than sororities or are they just kind of two sides of the same coin? I mean, I've never been like targeted or made sad by a sorority, so I don't... <laughs> I'm going to say, look, I think that you see expressions of much more positive things from sororities, right? Like, do I think rushing, I look, there's a reason I didn't do it. I, it seemed very anathema to who I am as a person. And also I didn't want to be rejected. So I was like, (laughs) no, I don't think this is for me. But um, I just think that especially, I just think you see much more, uh, much more positive shit that comes from sororities. But look, so many of them, you still have to have certain characteristics to get, you know, to be able to pledge, right? Yeah. Pledging, not whatever it is. And, you know, and and they're not the most diverse 
uh, groups. You know, they all, certain sororities look like certain things. And, you know, I just, I just think that you don't find as many behaviors from women who are in sororities that when they're 40, you're like, fucking sororities, <laughs> am I right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's a, I do think that they do maybe focus a little bit more on service and camaraderie and, you know, I mean, again, like go to a Lifetime movie, a lot of origin stories and sororities there too, but. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's an interesting point. Nobody is like, yeah, this this female mayor was behaving like a real sorority girl. I would be like, what do you mean right. by that? Like, was she- <laughs> Trying to help people. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I think that there are problems probably with- it, depending on what school you're going to, like with any iteration of the Greek system, anything exclusionary. But, you know, my friends that I know that were in sororities uh, seem to have had pretty good experiences overall. I know our vice president was in a sorority. Right. Um, and and like for people who are at a, you know, at HBCUs, frats and sororities are a huge deal. So, I, and I have no personal experience to speak to the value of that, you know. So I, I don't want to make a huge blanket statement about like for all fraternities and sororities everywhere. But I think to your point, Alyssa, sorority behavior to me seems like I would picture someone being mean emotionally yeah. and fraternity right. behavior is like someone is ruining shit. Physically. Maybe even criminally so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I feel like fraternity behavior like describes things that border on criminal and sorority behavior describes things that at worst are bitchy. You're yeah. like, that will break you psychologically. <laughs> yes. You're like, sororities will break you psychologically. Fraternities will break your table and may- <laughs> maybe your, your ping pong table and maybe, and or maybe your body. Start you on the path to liver cirrhosis, you know, et cetera. <laughs> um, okay, guys, we have to end this conversation on frats and sororities. I am honestly on team maybe consider getting rid of frats or put them on double secret probation uh, at the very least. Um, But, you know, that's obviously up for debate and I'm not in charge of a college or university, so I have zero power here. So uh, that's, that's the, that's the takeaway. Um, Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to talk about what we're feeling petty about this week. Sirius XM Radio is better with Bogle Wines. 70s on 7, 80s on 8, better with Bogle. Alt Nation, Hip Hop Nation, Hair Nation, better with Bogle. Madison, Howard, Andy Cohen, better, better, better. Y2 Country, Prime Country, Carrie's Country, yep, all better. The Beatles Channel is better, and getting better all the time. Everything on Sirius is better with Bogle. Award-winning, family-owned wines ranked as some of the finest available for around 10 bucks. As long as you're not driving, it's better with Bogle. Bogle Family Vineyards, Clarksburg, California. Please drink responsibly. And welcome back. We've reached the part of the show where we talk about something that doesn't really matter except to us. It's I Feel Petty. But before we get to that, a little bit of housekeeping. 
The Senate gets back from recess next week, and we want to make sure they're hearing from every supporter about why passing the For the People Act needs to be their top priority. This week, activists are hosting a For the People Week of Action, including virtual advocacy visits with senators and democracy teach-ins, where you can learn more about issues like gerrymandering, voter suppression, and how to get big money out of politics. To find ways you can take action today, head over to votesaveamerica.com slash for the people. Okay, the House has been kept. Now let's talk about what we're feeling petty about this week. Alyssa, I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you to go first. I'm ready. Everyone knows that I have been looking forward to Elliot Stabler coming back to Law & Order franchise, okay? I could not have been more pumped to sit down and watch this last week. And I have to tell you, I was really fucking traumatized by the fact that Liv is still mad at him and that they hadn't spoken in 10 years. I needed them to be reunited back together fighting crime and she is wounded and hurt and he is trying to make amends and I need this to be fast forwarded and for them to love each other and be back together because uh, this was not what I've been waiting 10 years for. Wow. So they're fighting? Yeah, so when he left, he never said goodbye, which I knew, but I thought there would be a different story for the next 10 years. But no, he could never say goodbye to her because he knew that he wouldn't leave uh, the squad. And so he just left, but he never said anything in those 10 years, and neither did she. And so he comes back. His wife gets shot because he's part of Organized Crime Unit. And Liv shows up. I mean, the whole thing was just so emotional. I cried. Okay, I don't normally cry at Law & Order. I'm normally girding myself to not have nightmares. But I was like, oh, my God, he came back so that he could see her win her award. And then she was like, Elliot. Like, just like fucking E.T., you know, Elliot. (laughs) And I was like, oh, my God, they're mad at each other. And then she, like, he wrote her a letter, and I didn't think she was going to read it. But then she read it, and she goes to talk to him about it. And I'm like, oh, my God, his wife is dead. Are they going to become lovers? (laughs) I can't handle it. And then he goes to talk to her. And she's like, she goes to talk to him and he's like, I'm busy, Liv. I'm in the middle. He's like basically in the middle of solving a crime. And I was like, after 10 (laughs) years, you stop, drop and roll. You talk to her about that fucking letter you gave her. You don't go upstairs to the crime unit. I was so upset when it was over. (laughs) Wait, so is that, was he, was that a one-off or is he back? He has a new show. So she's on at nine. He's on at 10. I'm hoping there's more crossover. I need resolution to their relationship. I need them to love each other. I, I can't I can't just rely on Mariska Hargitay's Instagram showing their friends in real life to get me through this. <laughs> well, let's hope that uh, there's more. Maybe they'll just make it into a two-hour show that involves both of them. Yeah. That would be fucking great. The people of New York would feel so safe if they were the ones on the beat. <laughs> What's the, what, wait, so it's, he has his own spinoff? Oh, God, just Kieran, him? have you been under a rock? Under I didn't know that rock. either. <laughs> Under a rock. I'm Kieran, so sorry. Elliot Stabler is back. He has his own spinoff, Law and Order Organized Crime. And it's on oh. Thursday nights after Law and Order Special Victims Unit. I thought he was just coming back to Special Same. Victims Unit. Oh, oh. I did I did know. I did know that he was coming back, but I thought it was just to the SVU. My God. There's no. like 15 different potential yeah. plots from Law and Order Organized Crime just from the Trump family. Honestly. <laughs> and I gotta tell you the way that the Law and Order franchise has been over the past couple of years, I feel a inspired by Don Jr. story coming up anytime. <laughs> As long as they don't get a handsome actor to play him, because the worst thing we can do is flatter these people by making them think they're attractive. No, I completely agree with you. (laughs) Um, Shaniqua, do you want to go next? Yes. uh, Mine is pretty simple and 
I don't know. I don't know if most people in LA feel this way. So, so I don't have a car. So I walk a lot of places unless I need to get an Uber and go far. I also jog a lot. So I'm just outside a lot. And there is dog shit everywhere. I have mm-hmm. to like hop over it if I'm running. Like the only time I see other people walking is when they're walking their dogs. And I just feel like I'm this like lone person out in the world who's always encountering dog shit, like no matter <laughs> like what I am doing. And it frustrates me so much because why won't like just pick it up? That's what you're supposed to do when you have a dog. And I know it's gross. I've walked my father's dog before and picking up uh, anyway, it's like warm and stuff and it's gross. But <laughs> if you get a dog, like, you know what you signed up for. Like you would not go to someone else's house, take a shit and not flush the toilet. So like, why would you just leave this just out on the sidewalk? So that is, that is my complaint today. That is what I'm feeling petty about. Just like pick up your dog shit. It would make people like me who walk around everywhere a lot, a lot happier. It would be a possible good tactic to like combat dog shit. If you just put up a fake camera like a ring camera and you wrote dog shit cam (laughs) on it and you put like an Instagram handle, like a fake Instagram handle that you're like, I'm going to post pictures of you letting your dog shit and not cleaning it up. People would maybe react. I think people do it because they think they can get away with it. Yeah. I I guess they technically do. Yeah. I was going to tell you, we had a dog shit controversy up here late last spring and I live in the middle of the woods, right? But we all, look, the exercise that we were getting at the beginning of COVID was only walking on the street. And so my good friend, my neighbors, uh, they have a dog. I knew it wasn't them. I'm like, who the fuck's leaving all the dog shit on the road? They're like, oh my God, I can't believe you noticed it too. So anyway, we sussed out who it was and uh, they got confronted. By a group (laughs) coughing on them. By (laughs) By socially distanced people in masks. Who were like, hey, can you pick up your dog shit? And they were like, mm, it's from the coyotes. And we were like, that is not coyote shit. And then he was like, <laughs> so in the middle of upstate New York, in the middle of the woods, there is a lone curb your dog sign in the middle of a country road just to just to torment them every time they drive by it. That coyotes, that is hilarious. Coyotes. Yeah. Do, they, do they pick up their shit now? Yeah, they do now. Cause fucking Good. eyes on them, because we saw them. <laughs> Good. Good. So I'm with you, Shaniqua. I don't care where the poo is, just pick it up. Yeah, not hard. I heard two book titles in there. One was (laughs) My Dog Shit and Me. (laughs) And the other one was like, what was it? Like a- It's your poo, pick it up? Yeah, or it's like a dog, (laughs) like a a scandal in the woods or something. (laughs) You know? "Hmm." Read both of those. Yeah, I would would put those on my to-read pile and maybe read them. Um, Okay. I have something to feel petty about this week. And it's like, maybe not the pettiest thing in the world. I feel petty about documentaries. Hmm. Not all documentaries. I feel petty about irresponsible documentaries. I feel like with uh, HBO, Netflix, Hulu, everyone getting into the documentary game, there are some that I'm like, as somebody who's worked in a newsroom and like reported on stories and done journalism, I'm like, this is very irresponsible. Mm -hmm. Tiger King, for example. Tiger King was presented with a slant to it and a narrative to it that ultimately when more information came to light after it came out and everybody had already seen it, uh, we learned was maybe not the best way to tell that story. Like the stuff about Carol Baskin, like making Carol Baskin look like a murderer 
it's not as clear cut as the documentary made it seem. And I think people watch documentaries and feel like, oh, I'm watching the news. But Mm -hmm. they don't have the rigorous like fact checking applied to them as like an actual news story would have. So people treat it like it's a story they're reading in the New York Times. But really, it's somebody who oftentimes doesn't have a lot of journalism training. They're a filmmaker who's telling a story, uh, not necessarily covering all the bases. I'm just worried that people are watching documentaries and thinking that they're all the same, and they are not. Some of them are really reliable, and some of them don't hold up to scrutiny. So I just wish that people that are pushing documentaries out just to get volume on like streaming services would be a little bit more responsible because we have enough disinfo out there already. We don't need any more. That's my I feel petty this week. It's a little preachy, but it's, that's how it's I It's true, feel. though. It's true. I, I, I used to kind of watch documentaries in that way, and then Okay, I feel so weird saying this, but then I went through journalism school um, and you start to understand like how the news comes together and like what it takes. And, you know, you do need to fact check stuff. And documentaries are more like like factual movies than like a news article that you or even broadcast journalism that you're consuming. And no, it went through a rigorous process. Mm -hmm. I think it's fair. Yeah, they're more like mosaics of like narrative than they Mm -hmm. are of like actual like someone with a with an objective like trying to get to the truth. Mm-hmm. They're just like letting people talk and the most colorful people get the most screen time. And it's like, it's honestly, I, I've seen some documentaries where I'm like, this is just elevated reality TV. I was just going to say it's reality TV. <laughs> yeah. The original reality TV for sure. <laughs> Kieran, I'm sure you have thoughts on that too. But <laughs> Yeah. This is your, I feel petty. You're like <laughs> tiny little thing, tiny little bone to pick. Truth. Is this, yeah. <laughs> truth. This entire, you know, Truth in nonfiction programming. What can we expect? What should we know to expect? I feel petty. Meanwhile, like, you know, Elliot Stabler on Law and Order Criminal Intent. You know, I think that's to organize a big crime. Criminal Intent is an entirely different franchise. I'm very sorry. And I should know that. Karen, what do you feel petty about this week? God, I feel, I, I, you know, I, I had an I feel petty and then I feel like I have little like, it's like Reddit. I have like sub petties to your petty. Your, <laughs> your like, sub, your petties made me feel petty. So I guess I'll say this, and this is in response to Shaniqua. This is a, this is a, going to be very controversial. So I don't know how this is going to be received by you or the audience. Um, <laughs> dogs aren't people. They're not people. They're oh. not, they're not people. And, and sometimes I think is a not, I, I like, Look, I, I do like dogs, but I feel the same way about dogs that I feel about children. It's like some of them are cool and some of them aren't. Like some of them I would <laughs> hang out with and some of them I wouldn't. It does, I thought you were going to say they're not people. Like <laughs> children aren't people. And I was like, I disagree. <laughs> You're like, hmm, interesting, Karen. Interesting. <laughs> okay. Interesting point. I feel petty becomes, I'm not sure this is accurate. <laughs> um, yeah, the like dogs aren't people and like some of them are cool some of them aren't you know which is fine they all have a right to exist because you know they're out there but but don't treat your dog better than the people around you you know like Mm -hmm. I, I think is the like I remember my cousin was visiting and we were sitting on a I'll never forget this we're sitting on like a a blanket in a park and we're having there's been there's been a number of times when I've been in a park and there has been a person with dogs in a human park, okay? And uh, they're like, 
they get mad at you for using the park in a non-dog way when their dog comes up to you, touches you. And it's like, guys, this is a, and then it's like, well, if you don't like dogs and it's like, no, no, it's not a dog park. This is a human park where dogs are allowed. (laughs) You understand? There's a difference. There's a difference. You still have to respect the other humans and your dog needs to also respect other humans. It's not my prerogative to like your dog. It's your dog. I might like your dog, but not with that attitude. If I'm Mm -hmm. eating a sandwich on a picnic blanket and then your dog comes up and starts licking my sandwich, you know, and then my cousin's like, control your dog because she's (laughs) British and she could say it. It's like, don't look affronted when you're in your yoga pants being like, wow, I can't believe you talked to my dog that way. And it's like, really? Because I can't believe your fucking dog ate my sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think dogs really become a vessel for people's selfishness. Like if Mm -hmm. someone is a nice person and they have a dog, they they tend to be a good citizen with the dog, but they're they're bad and have a dog, their dog can act like an, it kind of acts like an asshole. Which is why everyone should have cats. Behold (laughs) that little muffin, that little tuft on the chair, snoring loudly this whole time. Oh, Um, okay. Uh, That is all the time we have for this episode of Hysteria. Thank you, Kieran. Thank you, Shaniqua, so much, both of you for coming on. Uh, Alyssa, thank you, as always, for being my ride or die. And thank you to Hillary Clinton, a sentence that I... Did not ever expect that I would say. Thank you to Hillary Clinton for being a great guest on this week's episode. And thanks to all of you, the listeners. If you like what you heard, please tell your friends, give us a nice review, and there will be more hysteria for you next week. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastermonico is our co-producer, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer, and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Our digital team is Narmel Konian and Magic Groot. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.